Good morning. I too greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a privilege to be gathered together. This past Thursday and Friday were days for Christy and I at the Mayo Clinic. It was the completion of cycle six in our study with Mayo. And we were having dis- further discussions as to continuing <clears throat> that study and uh, doing maybe another session of dendrites with cryobulation, the freezing of a lymph node. And uh, it was very short notice, but in this process, they wanted another uh, scan, PET scan, to evaluate it. And uh, so we did that scan on Thursday, and then we had more follow-ups on Friday, and we were able to get see the results and get the results of that scan. The doctor's evaluation of that scan was that it's not working anymore. And so uh, their goal for that study was that it would be a little more responsive, a little more attempt for the whole body to respond to it, it did have some response in some of the areas. It did it did clean it up very well. Other areas appeared to be maybe getting worse. And so they didn't want to continue along the same line with something that is not really showing great improvements. We need to look at maybe some other alternatives. The doctor did say that there is not a lot of lymphoma in you. Um, so I felt that was somewhat of an encouragement, but he said on the same hand, we don't want it to let it get out of hand. And so they presented us with an option. There's more than one option, but there's the option that I guess they would like to see us take is another study. And this other study is very new off the press. It was just made available to Mayo Clinic as of September of this year. And uh, it's been in process of study in other parts of the world. And so we're looking at it. We're considering it. And uh, pray with us as we have these decisions to make. The other options is the standard, which is just chemotherapy. And their feeling on that is that it's not a long-term solution. It's not going to have the effect that maybe some of these new new things that are coming out maybe could have, and that's the unknown part. Um, so Christy will be the first one for Mayo Clinic if we go ahead with this study. And uh, the probability of that is if we go ahead with that, we can always, if it doesn't work, we can always go back to standard. But if we start out with standard, it's possible that we cannot go back to the study um, due to her. There's certain criteria you have to meet. And he said, as you stand now, you meet all the criterias. And one of them is she's young. The other is her blood counts are all good. And so she is a good candidate for it. 
So I'm not sure where the Lord's leading us, why um, we seem to not be able to shake Mayo Clinic off our hands, but they're doing a good job, and uh, I don't know, we get to know the aisles pretty good in there. Maybe we're, maybe we're to be a bright and shining light in there, I don't know, but whatever it is, it, we want the Lord's will. This new study, I'm just going to give you a little rundown of it. Um, it's a it's an antibody that is specifically designed to pick up uh, the markings of your cells, and everyone has these indicators in their cell. This marking and this antibody is tight for that marking, and so they'll infuse it into you, and it'll go and find this marking, which will, is the lymphoma, and then will attach itself to that cell. And in the process of attaching it, the cell will um, eat it, and then that kills it. And so it's very fascinating how how they continue to work in the in the medical field in working with a very small, intricate part of our human body. But ultimately, God is a physician, and uh, it'd be nice if. There'd be healing without having to do all this, but the same hand, I think God gives wisdom to man, and uh, we need to be mindful of that and thank the Lord for that. Turn with me to Psalms 62. Psalm 62. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall be greatly moved. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a Bowing wall shall ye be, and is a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul waiteth thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in the oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work.
you notice the pattern in this psalm, verses 1 and 2 speak of God. Verse 3 and 4 speak of man. Verse 5 through 8 speak again of God. Verse 9 and 10 speak of man. Verse 11 and 12 speak of God. Start out with God and end with God. That will be a key to life. There's another interesting part of this psalm too. It's divided into three sections. If you notice, the seal is divided as well into three parts of this psalm. My daily verse for Friday was found from Isaiah 26, 4. And that verse spoke of trusting in the Lord forever and the Lord being our strength forever. I was struggling with what the Lord wanted me to share. And this really did not come together for me till Friday afternoon. I also was absorbing the news of Alan and Krista and their baby passing on, along with all the other things that seem to not be whatever it is that you don't anticipate. I asked Christy, I said, what should I speak on? And uh, this was her suggestion, Psalm 62. Is my soul waiting on God? God is my rock, I shall not be moved. Here's David, probably at a low time in his life. His own son, Absalom, had rebelled against him, had turned his back on him. And it looked like David was going to lose. Find that Second Samuel 15, verse 6. It mentions there that Absalom was stealing the hearts of the people. David was the anointed king. And a messenger came to him and said, There are men whose hearts are turning after Absalom. It mentions a conspiracy going around the people, the people being won over to Absalom. What does David do? David goes before the Lord, and he's waiting on God. God is my rock, that rock that is way bigger than any problem that I will ever face, any bigger than any problem than any of you will ever face. A rock that will not move. I get a mental picture of a sea with waves and a pier of rocks that separate those waves. And behind those rocks, there's a calm harbor. The boat that is riding the waves will be tossed about 
back and forth. It may end up capsizing. It may end up getting destroyed if it's not careful. But when that boat enters into that harbor, that is where there is calm water, smooth sailing, and can glide along very peacefully. And I believe God can give us the peace in the midst of a storm. The rock that will calm the water. Make for smoother sailing. God is my defense. The NIV uses defense as described as fortress. I couldn't help but think of a trip that we made in the year 2000 with me and four other guys to the Middle East, and we had the privilege of seeing lots of fortresses. And there was two that particularly stood out to me as I was reflecting on that. One of them was uh, we went over into Jordan and we went to Petra and it's known for its uh, carvings in red sandstone and uh, this would have happened probably back in the third or 300 or 400 BC somewhere in that time frame. Um, they had lots of uh, very detailed uh, sculptures or whatever you want to call it, carvings into the rock. And they had a very sophisticated system. They had, uh, it's in the desert, and they had a way of catching rainwater and harnessing it, because there was times of the year that it would rain and it would flood, and, and they were in a place where they could get flooded out, but they, they were able to use the flood water to their advantage and harness it and be able to use it for the latter parts of the year. So they had plenty of water, so they could be under siege, but they also had an advantage of protecting themselves by the woods and the mountains around them, giving them an advantage strategic point to protect themselves. A very man-oriented fortress. It did fall to different empires at different times. Zadda, I'm not saying it right, M-A-S-A-D-A, it's all short-lettered A, um, was, was another uh, fortress um, down by the, the Dead Sea, and uh, that was another stronghold, another fortress. It was, uh, we had the privilege of going up there. And uh, there was a tram that took us up. Otherwise, back then, obviously, the only way up was hiking it. And uh, it was very interesting that back in that time, they had a lot of forethought into how they could be under siege for some, some time. They had stone walls that were long, almost like bunkers that were full of food, whatever, wheat, grapes, oil, whatever you need to survive. And then... Uh, they had a cisterns up there that were able to provide them with water. And then if the food did run out, they also had an area enough to grow uh, vegetables and whatnot. Uh, fell in 73 A.D. after uh, 
was one of the, it was, it was the last Jewish revolt where the Romans took hold of the Jewish. And, uh, those are man-made fortresses. And they all had their shortcomings. They all fell. God is my fortress. His fortress is going to stand. With confidence, I can assure you that the food won't run out. The water won't run out. May physically, but spiritually, it won't. Verses 3 and 4 in Psalm 62 give us the impression that the people were whispering and winning the hearts of David's men. He used the illustration of a bowing wall and a tottering fence. These people that Absalom had won that were David's servants, David's men, were now with Absalom, and they were pressing on against David to the point that he used that word illustration, the pressure is so great, I'm about to fall. Maybe sometimes we find ourselves neck deep in a problem, And if you had one more thing, you feel like you could just pop. What may be pressures that you face today? What would make us a bowing wall or a tottering fence? When something unexpected or troublesome comes into my life, it takes some time to adjust to it. I have many questions. I try again to understand. I start thinking about the potential scenarios. I wonder about the long-term impact on my life or my family or my family here at church. And sometimes those thoughts can crowd together in your brain that it's hard to focus. I do believe that as we face challenging times, use the illustration as the heat is cranked up, God will give us just the right amount of grace to get us through. Moving on then into verse 8. We find when we come to the end and we feel like there's just nowhere else to go, what did David do? He poured out his heart to God. I find it challenging how David responded to this challenge. 2 Samuel 15, 25-26 is David's response in the middle of this uprising. You know, David, he was king. He could have took charge of the situation. 
He had everything at his fingertips. He could have probably worked his way through it. Another part of this dilemma or or situation that happened with David fleeing from Jerusalem was that as his men were following him, the ark of God came as well. And David, in the middle of his challenge, in the middle of his situation, he found clarity. And he told them to take the ark back to Jerusalem and to leave it there. And that if God finds pleasure with him, that he will see it again. That's in my own words. David did not make the ark of God a good luck charm. He did not keep it for some sort of power. He didn't rescue the articles of the tabernacle to look like some hero that was going to be the save the day type. But he placed his trust in God. He said, God, here am I. We're going to flee. We're going to run case some bad comes upon us, but this stuff that is yours stays back. And whatever happens to me, happens. How many of us get into situations where we're not in control? We lose the control to fix it. Or change it. For some it may bring fear. I am no longer in control. For others it may be like rolling up your sleeves. And I'm digging in and I'm going to change it on my own. And I'm going to roll ahead, plow ahead, and go deeper. Here's David, a mighty king, a great king. He was a king who was holding the promise of an eternal throne. And now is being chased out of Jerusalem by the rebellion of his own son. How much control does a king have when he's on the run from his own son? Verse 8, David pours out his heart before him, before God. Trusting God in our situation, where our lack of control is exposed. This is not being passive. This is not sitting on the couch and not doing anything. And having the attitude that God's going to get me out of this. But I see some action that needs to take place here that David used. Trusting God takes action. It takes a heart being poured out before God. That's action. 
talking him in pers- talking to him in a personal way, telling God every detail. I believe God delights in the details, the small details of our life. Finding ways to wait and being silent. Finding the off switch, the shut off switch that shuts off that chatter that is filling our life with noise. Maybe there's drama or just maybe it's just too hard to find that peace. You have to hit the pause button and find that quiet spot, that place of peace to catch your breath and talk to God. David is active in finding every way he can in finding the strength and the trust in God. Realizing who God is. God is my rock, my fortress. The last section of Psalms, so the Take the seals there, but the last section of that last after the second seal, that last section is a culmination of David re uh, getting getting himself together and uh, realizing who God is. Sometimes when we feel like things are out of control, things are not going as planned. You know, it was earlier in David's life that David, as king, tried to take things into his own hands and to take care of his own problems, to fix his own problems. Take control of the situations that he found himself in. David was human, just like we are, and he made mistakes. And it's interesting, this perspective that David has here. I think David learned some life lessons. David says his perspective is the life of a poor person or A poor estate is like a breath of air. A person with great wealth and great estate is a delusion. Do you think your breath is any better than the person that is in poverty? And their breath is snuffed out without any recognition? Your riches, if you're rich, will only make a great delusion. Both lives, rich and poor, go before God like a breath of air. And they're on equal ground. 
This is the perspective that Davis has here. And I think it's a perspective that we need to have as we value life and human beings. Verse 10 also talks about not trying to use robbery or manipulation in order to gain control to fix your problem. Thinking of the situations we are in, you know, we're still in a situation that has affected all of us. And I find it somewhat amusing, but it's still a fact that it's reality. But how can such a tiny little small particle that cannot hardly, it cannot be seen with the, the eye called the virus, the one that we know so well today, wreck havoc across nations and across economies. Do we think we can fix or control and solve this virus? What was your comfort may not be your comfort anymore. What was something that you trusted in maybe is not something you don't trust in anymore. It was ripped out of your hand. There are people there are scientists who are working for a solution. But rest assured, the fact is that God's will was that in 2019 that there would be a little virus that would come to plague the world. It exposed us all who we are. It exposed how little control we had. There are people who are still living in great fear. Maybe they have good reason to live in great fear. If all you had was this life to live and no hope of eternity, then yes, you would be fearful. We had a little little, uh, incident at Mayo on Friday, which it is what it is, but there's dynamics of this whole thing that come into play that you never think of, but when you're supposed to social distance, how do you social distance on an elevator? It's pretty hard. So they have little squares marked out where you're supposed to stand, and depending on the size of the elevator determines whether it's five people or six people. Well, we were at this elevator for the parking garage, and there was a couple ahead of us. And uh, there's a male employee there monitoring the doors and helping people get on and off. The couple in front of us gets on. I follow behind, and she whirls around and says, we're going by ourselves." Okay. It's fine, but the male employer, I tell you what, he was kind of rattled, and the lady behind me was rattled. We were talking about it afterwards that we felt sorry for them. It was The lady was all riled up, and she said the husband looked like she could, he could have about crawled under a bushel. What was their fear? I don't know. 
what else can you or I do through a, something like this? And that is nothing but trust in God. To go about our work, to do what we can, doing it faithfully and obediently, offset our trust and our hope on God is powerful. And He is going to be steadfast in, lo- in His love. We'll all look back on 2020 if the Lord does not return for a while and remember those things that have impacted us. There's a hurricane that just came ashore only 20 miles from a previous hurricane. And I'm sure there's lots of people suffering from that as well. The challenge is that we need to keep doing what we're doing. Doing good, serving the Lord, doing our work. And then verse 12 speaks of that, that God will reward everyone according to his work. And that's in the NIV. I also found it uh, interesting what C.S. Lewis, he had an interesting writing on in regards to the atomic age and how Well, I'll just read it. This is, here's how we open on living in the atomic age, which can be found in the collection's present concern, journalistic essays. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age where raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat in any night. Or indeed as you already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of polarisis an age of air raids, an age of railway, of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin to exaggerate the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir and madam, you and all whom you love are already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in an unpleasant way. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestries. But we have that still, agnostic, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because of the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristles with such chance and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action is to be taken is to pull ourselves together if we all, if we all are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb. Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a game of darts, not handling, not huddling together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. But a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate 
our mind. On the flip side, I don't believe C.S. Lewis is excusing or discounting the warning of a pandemic either. In his life, he also had to ration certain things because of World War II, and he was very appreciative of his friends in America that sent him things that he needed. There will be difficulty, there will be trials, there will be struggles, challenges. This promise in Psalm 62, this prayer, this song, whatever you want to call it, trusting in the Lord, being the rock, the fortress, where our salvation comes from. God is going to be there, God is going to help us through. I couldn't help but think of the writing of, I think it's called Footprints in the Sand, and I'm just going to read it. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking alone, along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back to the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said, the, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That's by Kath, Carolyn Carter. Cartley. Is God my rock? Is God my fortress? I want to close by reading Psalms 91. Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in a secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He hath delivered thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noiseless pestilence. He shall cover thee with feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but, if, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eye shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. 
because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou tamp, trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy and show him my salvation. <clears throat> 